Good morning. Our Bible reading today is from is, is Psalm 11. Beginning at verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. Thanks, Matt. Uh, How do you handle unfair treatment? How do you handle unfair treatment in life? It might be at school, maybe bullying, something like that, people calling you names, excluding you from something, uh, or mistreating you physically, something like that. How do you handle that? What about at work? Maybe uh, a boss has taken a particular dislike to you for some reason, uh, and they give you menial tasks to do. Or they overlook you for a promotion. They do everything they can to try and make your life difficult. How do you handle that? What do you do with unfair treatment? Or maybe you've been discriminated, discriminated against in the past. For your age, young or old, maybe for your gender, uh, maybe for your race. How do you handle unfair treatment? What do you do with it? Well, just to begin with, I want you to notice the resolve that King David had in unfair treatment. He's the guy who wrote this psalm for us, and he said, verse 1, right from the top, he says, in the Lord I take refuge. And we're going to think about that today as a way that we can handle unfair treatment. Uh, Just think about that. But as, as a result of him taking refuge in the Lord, notice that he avoids any other option. The advice that he gets from his friends, and you can imagine, this is King David, He's not a softie, he's been through hard times, unfair treatment before, and his best counsellors, his advisors, his friends are giving him this advice. They say to him, well, he says, how can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot at the upright at heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is the advice that he's getting from his friends. And I think it's advice that often we get, the best advice often we get when dealing with unfair treatment. And what I think they actually capture here as well is the experience of what it's like to be treated unfairly. You know what it's like. Think about it. Have a look at this. The second line there, for look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings. For me, this is a very vivid picture of... uh, my experience of of unfair treatment, everything kind of slows down. I can ruminate on that particular moment of unfair treatment time and time and time again. It's like when you're in bed at night and all you can think about 
is that moment. It's almost like, you know, how on the cricket or the tennis, they can just do slow-mo on that one particular incident. And then they can wrap their cameras around it, 360 degrees and see it from every angle. This is what this is happening here. The wicked bend their bows. You know, and they put their arrow against the string. You see it happening. And then you can almost experience it over again. You can feel, see the arrow being shot and feel it piercing you right there. And then it says to shoot from the shadows. Isn't that what unfair treatment is like? It's kind of shadowy and dark. If somebody asked you, oh, tell me, how were you treated? And you start explaining it, and you realize you can't really put your finger exactly on it, what the moment was like, who did it, how it happened, what they said. If, if you were asked to put the evidence together, you'd realize, actually, it's, I'm scraping this together. It's almost impossible. And you start to feel like you're going mad because they've shot from the shadows. Such is unfair treatment. It's so dark and shadowy, so elusive. And it often feels like this, when the foundations are being destroyed. That's what it feels like, doesn't it? Because often the unfair treatment's coming from the top. And it's like, what are you going to do with it? When it's coming from the top, what are you going to do with it when the whole of society is kind of bent this way, or the government, or politics, or what can you do when unfair treatment comes? And so what do we do? We flee. That's the advice that he's given. We flee in unfair treatment. And I think we can flee in all sorts of ways. What does fleeing untreatment look like? It can look like disappearing from the situation. You know, we just want to run away from it, ignore it. Sometimes it's ignoring it. We stick our heads in the sand. Sometimes fleeing can look like masking the problem. We put a mask up. We don't tell others about it. We don't be vulnerable. Uh, sometimes I think we can actually flee mistreatment by trying to fight it in some ways, and we start branding it and labeling it as something that it's actually not. You know, I don't know whether you've heard, you know, some people can often enlarge their problem associating with a gender mistreatment or a, a big social mis mistreatment of race or privilege or something like that, when actually that's not dealing with the issue. It's actually escaping it. It's avoiding it. And we can do all these kind of things. We even, you know, go behind the person's back who's mistreated us. We go behind their back and we tell others about what they did to mistreat them. And, you know, that's just ironic, isn't it? Uh, the, there are all different examples of how we can flee it. And, of course, you know, I want to be really clear this morning. There are some cases where fleeing injustice is the right thing to do. If you're in danger physically, emotionally, mentally of being mistreated, sometimes it's entirely appropriate to flee. That needs to be said. But David realizes something about his friend's advice. He, realize, he realizes in some types of injustice, actually, their advice is not about personal safety. Their advice is actually about looking good, saving face, protecting your own reputation. And often we flee for these reasons, for selfish reasons, for the wrong reasons. You know, there's something about unfair treatment that can make us look to ourselves, can make us a little bit self-righteous, isn't there? There's something about unfair treatment that can make us feel a little bit righteous. 
And this is subtle in the psalm, but it's right there. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? There's something about unfair treatment that can make us a bit self-righteous. And these reactions of fleeing can sometimes just be that, just be self-righteous reactions. You know, sometimes it could be selfish to ignore unfair treatment because there might be other people involved as well who are being mistreated as well. It could even be the abuse of power to ignore unfair treatment because you might be someone in power who can do something about it. To flee dealing with it by fighting against it can actually be narcissistic because in that moment we can actually uh, be thinking to ourselves, I want to be seen as someone who's the victim or I want to be seen as the person leading the cause here, being a warrior of change or something. The temptation is to see ourselves as righteous and to, to blame everybody else. But we all know a world full of self-righteous people is not the answer. And so how do we react differently? How do we respond differently? How do we be like David who takes refuge in the Lord? Well, you might notice if you've got your Bible in front of you, uh, there's a big shift in verses 1 to 3 of this kind of personal, shadowy, panicky experience to the end of the psalm, verses 4 to 7, that give this beautiful, calm, resolute, and timeless picture of God and His justice. Have a look at it with me. It says, David says, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. Two wonderful pictures here about who God is and what He does. God is in His holy temple. That's a picture. The temple, of course, was this great building in the middle of the Jewish people. And David is reminding the people, when God feels distant, remember actually that God is with you in your problems. And the Lord is on His heavenly throne. He's saying, actually, in contrast to God being among you, which He is, He is also actually above the chaos of the world. And he's unaffected and uncompromised by human mistreatment. And he's on a throne. And he judges from that heavenly throne justly and rightly and purely. When God seems indifferent, remember, he is actually a judge sitting on a throne. David goes on in verse 4, he continues, he says, He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The picture here is kind of like when you squint to see something more clearly. You know, you put your eyelids together like that, and he says, that's what God's like. He sees clearly. He sees perfectly. You might know, uh, maybe because of TV, radio, it's 40 years since uh, Azaria Chamberlain uh, was killed by a dingo on a family trip to Uluru 40 years ago. And you might remember that Lindy Chamberlain was trialed for that case, uh, found guilty of murder, and spent years in prison. And it wasn't 32 years later until she was vindicated. But why was she vindicated? Because somebody found that missing piece of evidence. Somebody saw it, that little yellow cream jacket. Injustice happens when things are missed, when things go unseen. But God sees perfectly. That's what He's like. It goes on to tell us something about God's character. It says, The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, He hates with a passion. Now, we often think hate is the opposite of love. You know, how could an all-loving, all-good God 
hate anything or anyone. How can he do that? But you and I also know, you know, a parent who doesn't get angry or upset when someone or something deliberately destroys their child or seeks to destroy their child is negligent, right? A parent who doesn't get angry or upset or hate that thing that is trying to destroy their child is negligent. Indifference or apathy is the opposite of love. God shows that He really loves us in our world. He really loves justice because He hates the violent and the wicked. Here's something even more hard to stomach, perhaps, on first glance. Verse 6, on the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. Now, I imagine as I read that out, or even as the other Matt read that out earlier this morning, we might have lost 90% of you. Maybe all of us are lost when we hear that. We think, what on earth? Surely we don't believe that anymore, that God is like that. Wasn't that just a God we told people about so that they would obey order and structure and tradition? But maybe there's something invaluable we need to hear about God and learn about God in this. You know, you might be thinking about coming to faith or you might have a friend you want to bring to faith and you read something like this and you think, I don't think they could stomach that. I don't think they should stomach that. You know, maybe it's presented in a way like this in conversation. You know, how could a good, loving God send people to a place called hell? It sounds so wrong. It sounds so excessive. It sounds so unfair. One of the biggest issues I think we have here in this particular issue today is, shouldn't God be more inclusive? How could He be so exclusive? Well, one way actually to think about this is to ask ourselves, if you were God, who would you let into heaven? Maybe uh, I can put you in that seat today and, and I'll try and answer the question. You know, imagine you, Matt, if you were God and you could let people into heaven, who would you let into heaven? Well, I might say everyone. And you would go, actually, well, Matt, what about Pol Pot, you know, who was responsible for the genocide of a quarter of the Cambodian population? What about uh, Brenton Tarleton, the guy who killed... 51 people in a mosque in New Zealand last year and injured 45 others. What about him? Would you let him in, Matt? I'd say, well, okay. Uh, let's change the criteria. What if, if you're good enough, then I'll let you in to heaven. If you're good enough, I'll let, and you'll say, Matt, that's too exclusive. How do I know I'm good enough? I'll say, okay. It's not about whether you're good enough. Let's just make it, if you're sincere enough in your faith, you know, if you're, if you're sincere enough in your faith, then I'll let you into he heaven. Matt, that's too exclusive. How do I know? I'm sincere enough about my faith. Okay, well, change the criteria. Let's make it not religious at all. Let's just make it if you're true to yourself. If you're authentic, if you're a kind of really, you know, if you're an authentic kind of person, we'd say, hang on, that's too exclusive. How do I know I'm really being authentic? And see, this is the thing. This is the good news of the gospel. God is more inclusive than you or I could ever be. His criteria is on whether or not we know and trust what Jesus has done for us. And based on this criteria, more people are going to get into heaven than if you or I were allowing them in. See, the scandal of the Bible isn't that people go to hell. The scandal of the Bible is that God lets people into heaven. 
that you and I would not let into heaven. So the question then is exactly the opposite. The question is actually not, how is God just in punishing the wicked? The question actually is, how is God just in letting the wicked into heaven? That's the question. And that's the question that's at the heart of the Christian message. See, God is just, not just because He's a judge who sees everything, a God of perfect character, but He's just because in His Son, Jesus, God became the bearer of punishment, the bearer of what we deserve, the bearer of what the wicked deserve, that they might be forgiven and that they might be treated with honor and respect and love that they might be forgiven and justly treated like that. See, Jesus, in his death, we see that God experiences unfair treatment and he perfectly judges our mistreatment of him. He perfectly judges it. That's what Jesus on the cross and his death is all about. God perfectly judging our mistreatment of him. But more than that, more than just being just, he becomes the justifier of those who accept what Jesus has done for them. He becomes the justifier. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3. He says, There's no difference between us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It says here, God presented Christ as a sacrifice. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness so as to be just. God put Jesus on the cross so that when he forgave us of our sins, he is still just in doing that. But also so that he might be the justifier for those who have faith in Jesus. So, what does it look like? How do we change? What does it look like to take refuge in the Lord? How do we change how we handle mistreatment and unfair treatment? How do we move from being selfish in those moments to selfless? Well, I think when a Christian really knows that God has justified them, then they don't really worry about how we're treated. Not really, because we know we're safe in God's arms. We know how He treats us. How do we move from from the need to feel validated and heard in that mistreatment, though. Well, when a Christian knows that God and His Son lived a human life, died an unfair death, we know that we have someone who knows what we're going through. We've got someone to lean on, even in remarkable trials. How do we move from revenge and wanting revenge to moving to compassion? Well, when a Christian knows that God judges from heaven and that one day he will judge finally, then we are free to leave our judgment and our revenge behind and to leave it with him. We can take our minds off the immediate and put them on the eternal. When someone knows that in Jesus Christ, God has dealt with us graciously, then we are free to demonstrate the same love to others. 